Well, good morning or afternoon or evening, whenever you're watching this church, I'm glad that you are joining us uh, for worship. If you have your Bibles, open up to uh, Galatians chapter 6. We're going to finish the book of Galatians today and uh, cover really the last 18 verses here. And uh, so download the notes, uh, grab a cup of coffee, and uh, let's dig into God's Word uh, today. Uh, a friend of mine posted a meme this week that I just really found funny, and uh, it said on there, accidentally Googled Pastor Yoda instead of Master Yoda. And uh, I was not disappointed. That, just, that really just made me laugh. And what, one of the things that made me laugh about that is because in order to turn Yoda into a pastor, all we had to do was put a suit on him. Like that, that, makes, that makes him a pastor. And it it really made me think about all the different ways that we, um, what we think church is, uh, based on our experience, uh, based on our preference, uh, even based on uh, where we live uh, nationally. Um, I was thinking about this. I was talking with a friend uh, one time from the South, and they said, man, you never have a church potluck in the South without Jello." And I, I remember Jello being a big deal at our, you know, potlucks in the West. It was always somebody brought Kentucky Fried Chicken to our potlucks. That was what it was. But what, what we view of church is often because of our preferences, our experiences, um, even where we live. And, um, you know, when you think about it, um, Paul here is experiencing church in a, in a different location uh, with people that have different preferences um, different experiences, and sometimes it's hard for us to put how our church would operate around what Paul is saying. So I, I want us to just kind of think what Paul is encouraging here is the way the church should look like, maybe not what our experience has been. In fact, you know, if we're honest, like Yoda's original outfit was probably closer to what Paul read uh, wore than, you know, Pastor Yoda here, okay? So we're in the book of Galatians, and remember, um, we talked the first few chapters that Paul is, is reemphasizing the gospel because the church in the region of Galatia uh, had fallen into uh, receiving the gospel from Paul, but then receiving a different gospel, which is no gospel at all, from a group of people that we've been referring to as the Judaizers, who are telling them, yeah, you need Jesus, but you also need to obey all these laws and traditions. And Paul is saying, no, it's the gospel plus nothing equals everything. And this gospel creates a multi-ethnic family. It's not about being Jew or Gentile. And this multi-ethnic family is being transformed by the Spirit. That's, that's how we do this. And so we've looked at chapter 5. We're digging into chapter 6. So take a look at it with me. Uh, I'm actually going to bump up one verse, chapter 5, verse 26, and read through the end of the chapter because uh, I think that the thought picks up from chapter 5, verse 26. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone think, uh, thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast 
will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. Uh, For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. See, with large letters I am writing to you with my own hand, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has uh, been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers Amen. In this closing part, as Paul has been arguing that this community is transformed by the Spirit, uh, Paul is going to talk about how the gospel informs our relationships in the church. The gospel informs how we view ourselves. The gospel informs how we view the body of Christ or those in the body of Christ. The gospel informs how we view the world, those outside the church. And the, body, uh, and the gospel informs uh, how we view conflict. And so let's just walk through that right now. The gospel informs how we view ourselves. Um, it's, it's the, the writers of, of the New Testament Bibles, they, they put these you know, chapter headings and all these different things. And so we've got verse 26. Remember, Paul didn't have verse numbers and he didn't have chapter numbers. And so there's a thought that's going here that we're following through. And so, so Paul's saying, look, let's not be conceited, uh, provoking one another, envying one another. We kind of just uh, left that hanging last week. But what, what we see is the gospel informs how we view uh, ourselves. And, and the problem is, and he's got three words here, uh, conceited, uh, Greek, literally empty honor. Uh, one person uh, gave the definition this way, a deep insecurity, a perceived absence of honor and glory, leading to a need to prove our worth to ourselves and others. So this person is conceited. They, they think highly of themselves, but they don't, they don't perceive that enough people are telling them how great they are. And so they're constantly in this, this need to prove themselves to themselves and others. And it really comes 
from a feeling of inferiority inside of them. And then provoking. Uh, This is the stance of someone who is sure of their superiority, that they're better, and they're looking down on someone who's perceived to be weaker. And then we have envy. And this is also this feeling of of inside of you, of inferiority, and looking up to someone who you think is above you. And so what Paul is saying is, in all these situations, somebody just doesn't feel good about themselves, and so they treat somebody else so that they get something from it. And so the, the problem really is, in all these situations, the focus is on you. And, and, and how, not how you make somebody else feel, but how they make you feel. And so Paul is introducing this fight that goes in, uh, on side, uh, inside of us. He's already mentioned this flesh and spirit fight, and he just kind of throws this out there, and then he digs into how it's going to work itself out in the, in the church. And so the solution to this problem of conceit and provoking and envy, the solution is a self-image that's based on the gospel. So you could really go both ways, conceit and envy, provoking. You could go either way with the gospel. In one sense, we can say, oh, I'm just a sinner. I, there's nothing good in me. Um, there's nothing I can do to save myself. And that's true, but also true is that God loved us so much that his love was so incredible for us that he did something to restore that relationship. So in one sense, I'm a sinner, but on the other sense, I'm so deeply loved by God. And that's a self-image that's based on the gospel. And the solution really is this realization is that there's this war that's going on inside of us. Paul already addressed it in chapter 5, the flesh and the spirit. And you and I, brother, sister, we need to be aware of that. Because there is this selfishness that's constantly being a war inside of me. Um, also, uh, the solution is a spirit-filled life that is being transformed, right? That's being transformed in the image of Jesus Christ. So we recognize that we're broken. We recognize that God is changing us. And we, as we talked about last week, keep in step with the spirit and that process. And so really, it's a life that is uh, focused on our calling, right? Loving others sacrificially, loving others as ourselves, serving one another in love. That's the solution, having a right view. How does that impact the church? Just, just think about it. If, if what we are doing in our discipleship relationships, as we follow Jesus and we begin to go through this process of dying to ourselves and to our priorities and to our history and to our preferences. And when we realize that we're all sinners saved by Christ, saved by Christ excuse me, that we're deeply loved by God, that we have this war going on within us, we recognize that, I, that we are being transformed and other people in the process are being transformed. And our calling is to come alongside one another serve one another to that purpose. And so again, the challenge is that we have this subtle influence of self-deception. Look at verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing. You see what Paul's saying? It's like somebody has a wrong view of themselves. He deceives himself. Um, So we need to beware of this influence of self-deception that's going to 
When we are facing something, an issue in the church, a problem, a conflict, we need to recognize that the flesh wants us to deal with it according to our selfish desires. So we need to check ourselves. Um, Psalm 39, uh, just a, a really good reminder. Psalm 39 says, Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes, for he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. Uh, Psalm 39, first three verses. Notice that transgression, it's poetry here, but it speaks deep to the heart. Sin is speaking to us. It's trying to draw us out. It's fighting with us. And we need to recognize this selfishness inside of us and check it. We need to be aware of it. Paul is just being real honest with who we are. Flesh, spirit, selfishness, transformation, this war is going on inside of us. The focus um, in in this viewing ourselves, the problem is this conceit and envy, the solution is a is a self-image based in the gospel. The challenge is this war is going inside of us. The focus really is that we need to keep the last days in mind. And so it's really kind of interesting here. He says in verse 5, for each one will have to bear his own load. What is he saying? Look, we're responsible for the load. He just told us we need to help other people bear one another's burdens. And he says, you're responsible for your load. And in a sense, I think, I think what Paul is saying is, look, we're all going to have to stand before God and give an account. We're going to have to be responsible for how we've acted relationally in the church, in the world, in our families. We're going to ultimately bear that. And so because we have to bear that, let's help other people do well. Let's do well in ourselves. And so the change, how we get there, is that we're a new creation. Um, We are a new creation. If you look down towards the end here in uh, chapter 6, verse 15, uh, he's saying here, look, circumcision, nothing. Uncircumcision, nothing. The only thing that matters is that you're a new creation. So the gospel informs how we view ourselves. So on one hand, we're sinners and we're selfish and we're constantly looking out for ourselves. We're conceited. We're provoking. We're envious. But on the other side, we're saved by grace. We're loved by God. We're we're being transformed into his image. We're new creations. So we recognize this battle and we enter into that understanding in the church. Second, the the gospel then informs how we view the body, how we view other people uh, inside the church. Uh, One person wrote, and I just really love this, he wrote, the church is a mess worth making. Um, you know, sometimes um, when your kids are little, there's certain events that come around that, um, you know, you do because you're family. And I, I have to say, you know, I am so glad we are past the pumpkin carving stage in Dave and Janine's life. I I don't like sticking my hands in pumpkins. I don't like pumpkin seeds. I don't like the mess. I did it every year because I love my kids and they wanted to do it. 
Um, and I, I mean, glitter, I'm glad, I mean, glitter is not in the house anymore. I had three girls. I, I have enough glitter to last me a lifestyle. There's certain things in family that, you know, it's worth doing. It's worth the mess because I love family. And you know what? Church is messy. It's relationally messy. It, it is preference messy. It's, it's vision messy. But the church is a, is a mess worth making. And so here's, Paul says, I recognize that the church is messy. And how I know he's saying that is he starts chapter 6, verse 1, with saying, hey, you're going to have some people in the church who are sinners. Yeah, not a big shocker. But people who are habitually sinning, who are stuck on sin, and you have a choice to make. You can ignore it and say it doesn't make a difference to you, or you can step in. And he says, if anyone's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, those of you who are walking in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So the gospel informs how we view the body. And, and how we view the body is we recognize sin is going to happen, and the goal is to restore the sinner. And let me just say that restoration happens from those who are spiritual. And how do we, how do we rate that? Um, you know, we all go, well, that's me because I'm not doing that thing. But, but I believe what Paul is saying here is, you know what, people who are um, dying to themselves, people who are following Jesus, uh, people who are being an example, uh, people who are loving their neighbor, uh, people who are sacrificially loving other people, those who are spiritual should, and let me just say this word and make sure you understand it, gently. Gently. Man, I, if there is one thing the church stinks at, this is it. Now, we've made you know, comments around here. The church is the only the, the army that shoots its own wounded. Like if somebody's hurting, we just make it worse for them. If somebody is sinning, we, we want to just make a, a mockery of it or, or make a show of it. Look, we are to gently, and the goal is to restore. Restore. That is to put it back into its place. It's not to say, well, you sinned and now you sit on the sidelines. It's to restore them. And notice they were caught in a transgression. It's a specific sin. I have to say, being a pastor over the years, people have um, been hurt or offended by something, and they have come and they have, in the spirit of love, um, confronted me. And as I look back at that over the years, I mean, yeah, there's times where I've sinned and, and I thank God that people love me enough to, to say, you know what, Dave, that was inappropriate. That, was, that wasn't kind. That, that was uh, spoken uh, out of place or, or whatever it is. And I appreciate that. But most of the time, what people have confronted me on have just been how their preferences were bent. It didn't have to do with sin, it had to do with, I don't like that. I don't like the way you, and that, that, that's not what it's saying here. So if you're going to restore somebody who has sinned, you, 
you need to be able to show them in Scripture that what they are doing is against God's word. Second, he says that we are to bear one another's burdens. Now, specifically, in context, he's obviously talking about spiritual burdens. Right? You, are, you keep watch over yourselves lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. We're still in this idea of, of restoring the sinner. Now, he goes on later to do good and to sow and to reap. And so that obviously includes physical burdens. And I would say, look, just looking at your Bibles, I would say that verse 3 is the overarching principle of this whole chapter. Bear one another's burdens. Whether, whether we're talking about um, our sin of conceit or envy, or whether we're talking about um, our physical needs, how are we as a church bearing one another's burdens? And you know, I just want to say, I think in some ways, the church does some awesome things. And I can think of many examples where somebody was hurting and somebody emotionally or physically lifted a burden from them and carried it for a period of time. But at some point in time, we put the burden back down and we say, well, we can't carry that anymore. And so as a church, are we, are we helping people for the long haul bear their burdens? And then um, the gospel informs how we view the body. And so we need to remember the way of our crucified Lord. He says in verse 2, bear one another's, excuse me, uh, uh, yeah, bear one another's burdens, so fulfill the law of the Messiah. And it's kind of complex there. What, what, what is Paul saying when, when I bear somebody's burdens, I fulfill the law of the Messiah? What does he mean by that? Well, Jesus came to bear our burdens, didn't he? In humility, Christ became man. He, his love motivated him to sacrifice for us. And, and through suffering, he took on our sin and died and rose again. Jesus is the ultimate, the supreme burden barrier. And so we need to bear one another's burdens in the same way that Jesus bore our burdens. And in a sense here, Paul jumps back to this, this theme of, of conceit and envy. And he says, look, live like Jesus. Follow his example. The gospel informs us how we are to view the body. He also says to be generous. Now, I'm going to tread lightly here. I'm going to be careful, but I'll just let verse 6 speak for itself. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. This is talking about our support of pastors, shepherds, churches, um, and, and it, it is this relationship, teacher, um, student, that, that comes in and benefits one another. And think about when Paul is writing this, this we didn't have a Baptist church on every corner. There wasn't many uh, denominations. There was these home churches, and Paul is introducing this idea. Look, if you're going to have somebody that's teaching, like that should be their job. Like Let that be their thing. And they should be able to still live in the community and do the things that you're doing, like take care of them. And so uh, be generous to your shepherds, to uh, be generous um, to your church, be, be generous in general. That's definitely in the context here of sowing and reaping. 
He said, don't be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, they will reap. How much are you putting into the kingdom of God? Where are you sowing in that? You know, the idea of sowing and reaping and just in, gen in generosity to the church. You know, here's the problem. If I put money in my savings account and say it gets interest or an investment, um, I can watch that investment grow. I can watch that savings grow. I can today look at it at my phone um, and I can just see, well, what, how is that money doing? What's it doing for me? When I give money to the church, maybe I don't see that. And so Paul uses uh, this idea of putting a seed in a ground. You don't, you don't see what's going on in there. Not till, not till later when it starts to sprout. It takes a while to grow. And so he's using this idea of giving to something where you don't necessarily see it. And so the idea here, be generous and then do good. Um, and he's pretty general with this. Just, just do good. If you have opportunity, do good. And especially to those in the church. Do good. And I think this is just a great theme in here. Be good to those uh, in the body. Be good to those outside the body. So the gospel informs how we view ourselves. It informs how we view others in the body of Christ. And it informs how we view those outside the church. And in here, so we have this distinction that's made um, in verse 10. So then... As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those of the household of faith. Do good. And so, yeah, there's a distinction. And just over the years, people go, yeah, yeah, but we're supposed to love people in the church more. It's, especially those, yes. But he started with saying what? Do good to everyone. Don't, don't lose sight of that. Um. I think second um, in this idea of do good is to boast in Christ. Uh, Paul has in this, this text in verses 11 and following, he closes things up and, and he reminds the church, like, here's the problem again. Here's the, what the Judaizers are doing. It doesn't count for anything. And, you know, the reality, he's saying, these people are doing this because those who are saying the gospel plus nothing, they're being persecuted. And they don't want to get persecuted. They want, the, they want the Jewish people to like them. And so in this sense, he's saying, like, yeah, do good, but not when it compromises the gospel. And if you want something to boast in, if you want, that should be Christ. Um, in in um, verse 14, but far be it for me to boast except in the cross of Christ. I'm nothing outside of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what does this lifestyle bring? How do we relate to the, to the world? And he, as he goes on, he says, circumcision doesn't mean anything. Uh, uncircumcision doesn't mean anything. A new creation, verse 16. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy. Look, there's so much angst in our communities, in our churches, in our world. We're to live in peace and mercy with those. Be gentle. Be kind. And so the gospel finally, just real briefly, informs how we view conflict. And I would say the first thing we need to view conflict is we shouldn't be surprised. And so Paul tells us that in two ways. First of all, all of Galatians about, is about conflict, right? It's about a conflict in the Galatian church. Why would we be surprised when conflict comes? 
Once again, Paul says, you know what? I, I have lived this life of the gospel plus nothing equals everything. And he says, I, I bear the marks of Christ. What, what does he mean by that? I think Paul is saying, I physically have scars on my body because of persecution for preaching Christ. We're all called to fulfill the law of Christ. We looked at that in verse 2. And what that means is that we're to live the life that Christ lived, sacrificially loving others. Paul is, is recognizing all through this book, look, conflict comes when we live the gospel out correctly. And so when we, we think about this idea of, of conflict and, and what happens is when we experience conflict, when we experience things that we don't like or don't understand or not our preference, we withdraw. And so again, we're called to bear one another's burdens and so generously. Like if you want if you want to experience church, if you want to experience Christ just so generously of your time, of your money, of your investment in people, just be generous with it and recognize, look, I may not make a difference in somebody else's life, but I know that interchange is happening. And we need to sometimes just focus on that interchange, what Christ is doing in us and not the outward conformity. I, I'm at this point of finishing up uh, the semester uh, as I teach this on Wednesday. Tomorrow, Thursday will be my last day down at Corbin, which I'm, I'm thankful for. And uh, so it's, it's kind of finals week. It's uh, papers are due and, and I have a student who's not doing well in my class. And he texted me this week and, or, or emailed me this week and said, you know, uh, Dr. Fields, I'm failing your class and I'm, I, I, I want to I want to pass. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to help the guy in different ways and different things like that. But, you know, ultimately what I said is, I am so glad you're concerned about your grade. I wish you would have been concerned about it earlier, though. Like, at some point in time, we, we all of a sudden wake up and go, man, this isn't what I wanted for my life. I wanted to be closer with Jesus. I wanted to be more involved in the church. I this isn't what I pictured. And I just want to say, look, there's an inner battle going on inside of you. The gospel makes a multi-ethnic, messy family. And the only way that it's going to get better is by the transformation of the Spirit. And that transformation often just happens in us. It's this inner change that God is doing. He's He's moving in our lives and drawing us closer to Jesus Christ. And so if you think church is hard, it is. If you think church is hard on you, if you always feel like, why am I always being called to, to change? Because we're learning to die to ourselves. It's not, it's not about you. It's not about your preferences. It's about you becoming more like Jesus. So here's some application and action as we change. And I'm going to sneeze. Hold on a second. Nope, it went away. Application and action. Uh, the church, it's, it's about relationships that transform one another. If you want to know what the church is about, look, it's not about potlucks. Uh, it's not about the pastor wearing a suit. Um, it's not about Bible study. It, it's not about programs. Um, it's not about a sanctuary or a denomination. The church is about relationships.
up against our sin nature and lovingly mold and shape us into the image of Jesus Christ. That's what we're doing here. We're becoming more like Jesus. And as we become more like Jesus, we want to tell other people about how great Jesus is. But if we're just coming here and doing our things, and we're not changing, and we're not transforming, and we're not sharing, then we're just a club. We're not a church. Second, the the, the church is about relationships that grow one another, Um, not simply care for one another. And, And what I mean by that is, look, the reality is, man, there's so many physical needs at Hillsborough First Baptist Church. We could just sit here and talk about them and pray for all the physical needs. And, man, I want to care for people, and I, I hurt for people that are hurting. And, um, but let's not lose sight of the fact that we have a church that's growing older, and so our focus is becoming um, the problems of older people. And the purpose of the church, is to make sure that the next generation is growing closer to Jesus. And we need to recognize this need to to push in and grow one another, grow us closer to Jesus Christ. Not that older people can't grow. It's just a, we do it. It's just a harder fight, isn't it, sometimes? And, you know, ultimately, the church, love God, love people, make disciples. And at some point, if we're not scattering to the point where we're making disciples, then I I question whether we should even gather. If we're just coming in to check in each other and say, how are you doing? How are you doing? How do you feel? How's your knee? How's your, you know, whatever? Then then let's let's do that at home. But, But let's be about a church that wants to see a difference in Hillsborough. And I, you know, I know I'm talking to the camera, but I'm thinking of the downtown area right over here and over here and and schools up the street and homes over here and businesses and all that. How are we making a difference? The church is to bear one another's burdens, to love those people inside the community and outside the community, to be transformed by the Spirit. Love God, love people, but let's not lose sight making disciples as we follow Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you that we can meet, uh, even if it is not ideally. God, we are living in a time where we are tired of being separated, tired of disease. We're tired of, of hearing of people who are sick who we haven't seen in weeks. We're tired of being away from family. And God, we said in the beginning, and this all started when we, when we shut down uh, sports and we shut down beauty parlors and we shut down gyms and we shut down all this stuff. I, I remember saying to the church, maybe, maybe God is reminding us of other idols that we have. And so here we are in another second season of shutdowns and we're, we're shaking our fists and we're angry. But God, I pray that for those that are watching, that are listening today, that we would be encouraged to examine again those idols that are inside of us, those things that that are becoming more important to us than Jesus, that we're more concerned about this than really following Jesus, that, 
that when we say I'm all about Jesus, it's only if this thing is there. And so God, again, reveal those idols to us that you might mold us and shape us into your image, that you might be glorified, not that we would be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.